the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller, episode number 36, featuring a conversation with Indiana Bishop Julius Trimble and the author of Active Faith, Resisting Four Dangerous Ideologies with the Wesleyan Way, Dr. Paul Chilcote. How do we engage in practices that shape us into people who are truth-telling, who live with joy, who are peacemakers and love God and others? Welcome to the United Methodist People Podcast with Rev. Dr. Brad Miller. Brad believes that strengthening the connection in the United Methodist Church is essential to accomplishing the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. The United Methodist People podcast helps clergy and church leaders connect with key insights, hear inspiring stories, and learn from the people making a difference in the United Methodist Church through conversation and commentary. And now, here's Brad. Hello, good people. Welcome to this episode of the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. Quite a treat we have today as we have Dr. Paul Chilcote with us, with myself and Bishop Julius Tremble. He is the author of a number of books, over 25 books. He is uh, about Wesleyan theology and history. He is a retired uh, professor of history, theology, and Wesleyan studies. And his most recent book is Active Faith, Resisting Four Dangerous Ideologies in the Wesleyan Way. Dr. Chilcote has a history as a United Methodist minister, missionary, and a frequent speaker and workshop leader in applied Wesleyan studies, especially in areas of spirituality, worship, discipleship, and evangelism. And as we mentioned, he's the author of many books and he has served, among other things, as being instrumental in the creation of the African University in Zimbabwe. He's a real treat for us to be together today as we speak into the issues of that are facing the United Methodist Church as we look at uh, the potential of division and schism and so on. And he's going to give us what he proclaims as a process of progressive Methodism, a declaration to that. We're going to get into that here uh, today. Our our website is unitedmethodistpodcast.com. There you can find the full transcript and the show notes of this episode, episode number 36, as well as back episodes of the podcast with great leaders in the church, which you're going to want to check out. You can also check us out the uh, podcast at uh, at at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash United Methodist Podcast. Great episode today with Dr. Paul Chilcote and Bishop Julius Trimble as we talk about active faith, the four dangerous ideologies with the Wesleyan Way. Let's get into that conversation right now. Reverend Dr. Brad Miller with you here on the United Methodist People podcast, where it is our mission, it is our vision to strengthen the connection in the United Methodist Church through conversation and commentary. 
And we do that by having conversations with, with great leaders and authors and theologians of the church. For the last uh, several weeks, uh, Bishop Julius Trumbull and I have been talking about matters in the church which are pertinent. We've talked about the pandemic of the COVID crisis, and we've talked about the pandemic in a way of the racial injustices that have gone on in the world. And today we're going to integrate those into, in some ways, another pandemic that we have of the situation in the United Methodist Church, where we have a great deal of strife going on and, you know, a lot of discussion and division and possible schism that is uh, uh, at hand. And we have with us uh, to speak into this, uh, Dr. Paul Chilcote, who is a retired United Methodist theologian, and we are glad to have both Bishop Trimble and Dr. Paul Chilcote with us today on the United Methodist People podcast. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you, Brad. Uh, Paul, it is great to have you with us today with the bishop and I, and I really, uh, you've the, you're the author of many books, uh, 25 or 30 books, and I read several years ago uh, your, your book about the revitalization, uh, recapturing the Wesleyan vision, and that was a good book for me to read to be reminded about the Wesleyan vision uh, moving forward. And then recently you wrote this book that came out a year or so ago called Active Faith. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but I really like to get a foundation of background with a lot of our guests, uh, Paul, about your own personal faith. We taught your books, Active Faith. Let's hear about your faith, how you came to faith in Jesus Christ in the first place, and how that evolved into a ministry of teaching and education and service. Yeah, thank you for that, Brad. First, let me say thanks for inviting me into this. I feel honored and privileged to kind of be back in Hoosier land. Uh, my roots go pretty deep in, in Indiana. And um, wow, uh, where do I start with my, my spiritual journey? Uh, I'm the third generation, a third generation pastor uh, in the Methodist tradition. Um, my, uh, my father was in the Northern Illinois Conference when I was born, and my birth was announced at annual conference. I was, I was born during the annual conference session. So if I were Calvinist, I'd say I'm predestined to, to have done virtually everything I've done. Uh, in the Methodist Wesleyan uh, heritage. Um, my faith really uh, came to full flower, I think I would say, during my college years uh, at Valparaiso University, at a Lutheran university. And I discovered much about uh, faith and life uh, there, made the decision to go into the ministry, uh, still as an undergraduate. I went on to Duke Divinity School to do that and stayed on for a PhD in Wesley Studies and then uh, some time of service uh, on the African continent with the General Board of Global Ministries. And I think many of my, my Hoosier friends um, may remember me being one of the first faculty at Africa University in Zimbabwe and helping to launch Africa University, which still has a very dear place in my heart uh, now, so pan-African and actually global. Uh, insignificant. So God has blessed us in so many ways, uh, taken us uh, literally around the world uh, in, a, in a ministry that's been so exciting to us. The witness alone of Africa University is a profound impact to the church. I want to thank you for your part that you played in that and for your service and education and all the things you've been involved with. And I know that um, uh, Bishop Trimble and I uh, share uh, some background with you and have read a lot of your work and 
and I've been impressed by that. And Bishop, I know you had something you wanted to share before we kind of dive into some of the work that he's done. Well, I think uh, first, first of all, I want to thank uh, Brother Paul for uh, reconnecting with this home conference. Uh, even though we know people on this podcast, people who listen, who listen from across the globe, and so we may have folks who uh, from African University also will hear this pod- podcast. Uh, I didn't. The more you talk, to probably more we would have connection because. I was ordained in the Northern Illinois Conference. I'm originally from Chicago. And uh, my roots with Africa University actually go back to 1991, because one of our classmates, Brad, you may or may not remember, Elisa Namo Mumbiro. I went to college at Evansville with Elias. So he was actually, he was the district superintendent when I, I spent five weeks in South Africa and Zimbabwe. He was the district superintendent. When there was just a sign that said the future site of Africa University, there were no buildings. And then I did not come back to Africa University until actually I became a board member several years ago. And uh, so now I now I chair the board development committee for Africa University. Uh, so thank you, Paula, uh, for your witness there and Brad for your support too, as because I know Indiana has been a big supporter of Africa University. I just want to begin by, by saying, I believe that this is a time to pay attention to God's mission of love. Those words will ring familiar. And if it is, if, and if one definition of justice, uh, Brad and uh, Paul, is love expressed in the public arena with the whole of the human family, then the question before us, and I know for me, is uh, what role do I have as a Jesus follower? in the United Methodist Church amidst the pandemics that we've been talking about over the recent weeks, the the COVID crisis, um, dismantling racism, the the impending, postponed, if you will, projected schisms and protocols and so forth. Because I really believe this is a time for us to really be paying attention to what God has to say. I received a letter from a lay person I thought was spot on, who basically said, you know, he didn't believe God brought the COVID. You know, God was cursing us, but it said it may, shouldn't we be paying attention to whether the most important thing is division in the church, uh, given all the, all the division that's going on in the world. I really, I'm really looking forward to ways in which you can help us understand some of what you shared in your book, Active Faith, around a number of things, practice of humility, what, what constitutes essentials versus, on my opinion, Brad and I, we both have opinions about a lot of things, I'm sure, like a lot of United Methodists. And something, something that I really wrestle with, you know, some peace that is more than just aspirational. I was talking with my wife, and I'll stop at this uh, a few days ago, and she said, you know, 30 years ago, she, my wife was leading discussions. We were in Ohio at the, at the school, at, at the high school level and elementary school level around diversity and inclusion and how do we, how do we live uh, in a world where there are people from different cultures and different strengths. She said, and you know, sometimes you wonder whether we've really made as much progress as we'd like to say. So I'd be interested in hearing from from uh, Paul around a number of things, but this uh, one thing that kind of jumped out of me, you know, God's mission of love, particularly amidst all these pandemics. Well, thank, thank you, Bishop. Let me start this way, the, if as Wesleyans, um, as, as Methodists, people who kind of trace our spiritual legacy back to the Wesleys in one way or another. Love 
is always the goal. I almost want to say period. L- love is always the goal. The, 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 the uh, movement of our lives, according to Wesley, is, is always in the direction of love. Higher levels, deeper levels of love in our life, love of God and, and love of neighbor. And if you just start with that basic concept, that basic principle, so much begins to spill out of that. Or maybe a better way to put it, change the metaphor, as you begin to put flesh on those bones, there is so much that uh, touches our lives today uh, in the midst of the pandemic, in the midst of of, uh, this elevated concern about racism that's always been there in our nation. But now, as I I hope, uh, we've come to maybe another kind of tipping point in that and uh, with what's happening in our nation around it. And, and with the issues of unity and diversity in the life of the church, they're all so intricately connected with each other. But for the Wesleys, everything begins in love. Everything in life continues through a journey of love and everything ends in love. Mm. So that, what, what better place to begin? And active faith, um, it, I might say just a word about its origins. Uh, because it also touches directly on this keynote. Um, The primary impetus for the book was actually Steve Harper's earlier book entitled Holy Love, a a biblical, I'm not sure I'll get the the subtitle right, something like a a biblical theology of human sexuality. And in Steve's book, he was trying to um, articulate what he considers to be and what I certainly consider to be a biblical theology of of sexuality, but one that leads to inclusion in the church. And that was really the impetus for my book, because I wanted to say a little bit more about that, but within the context of some larger issues that we're dealing with in our society. So, let me say a quick word about the positive side of the book before I, I talk about the negative issues. So on the positive side, you mentioned it already. The purpose of the book is to help people cultivate these four different attributes in life, truth, joy, peace, and love. Because as I said a moment ago, everything ends in love. (laughs) So it all moves toward love. Uh, The book is really about practices. How do we engage in practices that shape us into people who are truth-telling, who live with joy, who are peacemakers and love God and others? Uh, And those practices, as I talk about them in the book, I love alliteration because it helps me remember things. So humility, I think you mentioned, and hospitality and healing and holiness. These are the practices that are also so central to our Wesleyan heritage. That's the positive side. And I hope people that read the book, I hope they come away primarily with that positive, proactive practice dynamic. And actually not so much the negative side, although there are foils in the book to each of those four things. And those are fundamentalism, nationalism, and I almost want to say in quotation marks, 
Christian nationalism in the United States in particular, dispensationalism and antinomianism. Now, the first two, you know, people who are listening to this, they may say, yeah, fundamentalism, I, I, I get that. Um, the um, nationalism, yeah, I, I think I get that. The other, the, the, sec, the, the last two, uh, dispensationalism and antinomianism, probably take a little more time, longer than a podcast like this, to kind of thresh those out. Because it's, that's not common terminology for most people. Um, so I may not say too much about them, but that's not to say they're not as important and maybe the most important parts of the book as well. So, so how do we cultivate humility? How do we, how do we cultivate uh, healing in our lives? Um, how do we become followers of Jesus, as you said a few moments ago, whose lives are characterized by truth and joy and peace and love. That's my primary concern and interest in it. The foils, as you just said, but it, you also frame that as dangerous. The, the ideologies are dangerous. And, and I think when we, if you, as you've termed them to be dangerous, that also means they can be destructive. And we've seen a lot of destructive, a lot of hurtfulness, a lot of hatefulness, a lot of division happen you know, in our country and the COVID crisis is causing great division and destructiveness and politically and socially and economically and so on as the uh, racial injustice certainly has in in our United Methodist Church. And I just want you to speak to the power of the destructiveness and then the need to elevate the power of of love and all the other uh, love and joy and truth to combat. I'm, I'm taking really almost on a, you know, spiritual warfare level here, uh, what we're talking about here. If you could just speak to the powers involved here and the, what's going on here. Yeah. Well, the one that comes right to my mind, I'm not sure why it's the one, but but it has to do with the third chapter, which is on peace and healing. And the healing there is not so much personal healing as it's the healing of creation. And the, the danger of dispensationalism, that's the ideology in that chapter. The danger of dispensationalism is that it takes our attention away from the responsibility we have for this planet and the stewardship that we're supposed to be living out day by day that's restorative and healing with regard to our planet. And the danger in that form of dispensationalism is a denial of climate change. You know, those people that deny climate change and many of them, people who claim Christ, these are Christian people who who say, no, you know, this is all, it's all going to come to an end. Um, We're maybe we're we're living in the end times, you see. So what difference does it make? Yeah, it's a throw up your hands attitude. So what's the use? So what's the point? Case or else or all, whatever you want to say, just kind of let's give up. And, and I don't think the gospel calls upon us to give up. We need to live in hope, uh, another word that we could use here, and to speak to, speak to that. So let's just focus on dispensationalism for a second and the, and the healing uh, aspect of that. What are some practical things we can do, whether it's ecological, as you refer to, or other things, to be healers, to be active healers? Uh, well, let me, let me wrap a couple of these together in my response. So, for example, to to be engaged in the stewardship of this planet, 
we have to have a baseline of truth. So that kind of carries me back to the first chapter on truth, the the practice of truth. Uh, And this is also going to be involved in how we respond to the pandemic situation. Because what we've been living in, I believe, and not just in these past few months, but actually for quite some time now, are destructive attitudes in our culture related to truth itself. You know, truth has been under attack for quite some time. So that pushes us all back into the area of authority. You know, what what do you consider to be authoritative? Is it CNN or is it MSNBC? Is it, who, who do you listen to? Or uh, so, news. Yeah, in Fox News, yeah. And, and so where do, we, where do we go to find truth? How does that then apply uh, to the science as it relates to um, our planet, this, this earth we call home? Um, and then how do we respond to that? And again, the dispensationalist issue uh, in all of this is simply a reading of our history, which I believe is actually not biblical. It's very novel and new dispensationalism. It's only a, two centuries old now. So it's, it's an attitude, and I don't want to get into all the detail of that. It carries us too far sure. afield. But, but it's, it's an attitude that says that, um, you know, heaven is our home, and that's where we're going. And it really doesn't matter what's going on here. I have my ticket to heaven. Therefore, it doesn't make any difference what happens in this world. It's, it's a friend of mine says. Including, it's, including to the other people, right? Uh, absolutely. A, a friend yeah. of mine says that you're so heavenly bound, you're no earthly good. Yes. And, and what our Wesleyan heritage calls us to is, is a both and understanding of virtually all aspects of theology. So that yes, heaven is heaven is important. That's our eternal life with a God of love, but so is our life here on this earth, uh, and the incarnation, God coming and dwelling in human history, living with us in human history, is a phenomenal testimony to the value that God puts on history and this earth, this world, the the universe, the material universe. Pull back though for a second. Uh, because what what triggers I, I started out with that um, with that image of um, climate change and those concerns, this really pulls me back more into issues of nationalism because of the way in which that touches racism and i don 't want i don 't want me to squander time not talking about this issue of racism because I think it is it is one of the most critical issues that confronts us now. Uh, as a nation, as a church, and as a world. Uh, because again, I don't, I don't think this is something unique to the United States. The, these issues of, of racism are endemic um, in, in the human community, in the human family. Quick, quick story. I hope you'll appreciate this, uh, Bishop, because it carries you back to Illinois. My father was in the Northern Illinois Conference in the second half of his ministry, And in the 1950s, he was involved in the early uh, foundations of the civil rights movement. Uh, uh, He was at a place um, in in southern Chicago. I won't name the suburb, but the southern suburb of Chicago. 
And because of his preaching related to issues of race, he was actually removed from that congregation and moved uh, at that uh, conference year. And that's the year I was born, 1954. Um, he, he was very concerned that my brother and I um, have an opportunity to meet some of the great leaders of our nation around those issues. So as a boy of probably about eight or nine years of age, I met Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in Chicago. Oh my goodness, wow. That's a, that's a part of my DNA. And so the issues related to race and racism are, are critical in our world today. Um, I, I heard a statement that I really resonated with just a couple days ago. And really, I hadn't thought about it. So I'm hoping maybe those who are listening haven't really thought about it either. And I'd like to encourage you to think about it. <laughs> so the, the statement was, there's a difference between not being a racist and being anti-racist or being committed to anti-racism. Not being, if I say I'm not, I'm not a racist. That's passive. There's nothing active about that. It's just claiming something that I'm not. But to say that I'm anti-racist, that I am opposed to racism, that's positive. That's proactive. It says, here is something that I'm committed to. And for again, for those of us who are Wesleyan Christians, we have deep roots in our spiritual DNA around this. Maybe some of your, your listeners actually know that John Wesley's last letter was a letter to William Wilberforce, encouraging him to continue in the work that he was doing to abolish the slave trade and slavery in the British Empire. That was John Wesley's last letter he ever wrote in his, when he was 88. So um, racism has now surfaced. And, and I, think, I think we all know why. It, it had to do with a threshold that the black community in particular, but I, I wanna hope all communities uh, whether of color or not in the United States, hit with a series of tragic deaths of African-American men at the hand of police in our nation. Um, uh, and it was as though, I think, for many people that there was a, a flip of a switch or something was triggered in that that said, this cannot go on. We cannot continue to live as human beings with the kind of racist behavior that has characterized our lives. And so I'm, I'm in that process, Paul, I just want to interject a little yeah. bit there. I think it's also causing a lot of Christian folk, including clergy and others to go a little deeper, to go into the holiness piece of what you talk about into their own understanding of their own spiritual walk and so on. If, uh, if they've not lived this out, Absolutely. you know, to have some deeper introspection there. And I think the, uh, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm actually quite proud about in terms of my own Methodist United Methodist heritage is that we've not always gotten it right. My goodness. I, I we know that from, from something like the central jurisdiction, you know, into 
racism that's lived out in the lives of local congregations and conferences. We, we know we've not gotten it right all the time. But we are an extremely diverse church. I, I think I can say, as an historian, probably one of the most diverse Protestant communities in the United States. And that's a, that's a legacy that I think is well worth preserving. And we've attempted to live out that life together in diversity, but as people united and really united more than anything else by our common humanity and by our passionate love for God and others. Um, And our Wesleyan tradition tells us that every human being is a person of worth and value and dignity. Um, and, and I hope that we're learning our way into what that means more tangibly now than ever before. That's, that's powerful, that's powerful um, Paul. A lot of things you said, I just resonate with. One of the things I've shared, Brad, uh, and you, you may have heard me in, in things I've written as well, um, said that, you know, our, our history is fraught with contradictions. So we all have plenty of things to repent for and to right. confess. Uh, Fred, for example, Frederick Douglass writes, you know, a critique of Methodists saying the Methodists uh, considered themselves good Christians, those who were slave owners, because they didn't beat their slaves on Sunday. Um, and if and both of us who remember the, the letter, Dr. King's letter from the, uh, Dr. King's letter from the Birmingham jail, if you if you look at the letter that he was responding to, included two Methodist bishops. Uh, who had signed, you know, basically said, uh, you know, what progress will roll in on the wheels of inevitability. I'm, I'm paraphrasing what King said, but basically they were saying, you know, this is, this protest stuff is, things are going to eventually, history has proven things will eventually get better. We, but, but protesting it isn't the way to bring about change. Of course, they were proven to be wrong. And mm-hmm. so they were, while they were Methodists uh, uh, who were on both sides of that, you know, they were, so our history is fraught with, with contradictions, but I like what uh, Howard Thurman said, the contradictions of life are not final. Uh, so I really like what you mentioned because I thought this was an oxymoron when you mentioned the progressive Wesleyan. Because my wife was one of those persons that said so many things have been co-opted. You know, she said, remember when good news was just good news? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, okay. And then the gospel? We're going and, you deep know, when now. you say Wesley, and you know, it's like, you know, if you're, are you, and, and I, and I love all my folks in Indiana, those who are, who would consider themselves progressive, those who are part of the Wesleyan Covenant Association and so forth. So I, I, I don't mean to be flipping at all, but I really like what you talked about a progressive and you define progressive stepping forward. I may be, that's a little short, but can you say a word about that? Yeah. What, what do we mean when we say progressive Wesleyan this? in this, given all of these pandemics? Yeah, I have to say first, you know, my original title, this is just me thinking out loud with my wife. My my original title for the book was a progressive Wesleyan manifesto. (laughs) And she said, Paul, (laughs) what are you thinking? And uh, pulled me off the manifesto to begin with. You snuck it in there. You snuck the word in there. I I read it. (laughs) Yeah, it was meant to be provocative. I think 
Um, in our in, in the last quarter century or so, I think there's been an attitude that someone who identifies with the language of Wesleyan is, is a particular form of evangelical. Um, as, as if there's a kind of, a kind of um, market, you know, on that end of the spectrum. And, uh, and it's kind of a, almost even redundant to say Wesleyan evangelical, that, that those mm-hmm. are synonymous in some ways. But there are many um, uh, Methodist folks um, who have a, a deep uh, passion for Wesleyan studies. I mean, really, really unearthing the origins of the Methodist movement and identifying the core aspects of our um, particular tradition within the Christian family, who also self-identify as progressive. Um, And in many ways, that probably does tie in with societal progressiveness, with social issues that are uh, progressive-leaning. The difficulty with all these terms, I, I think I can almost, almost don't have to say it, is they've all become politicized in our time. Well, even the word evangelical, which you've used a couple of times, has certainly been co-opted. Right. Uh, it, it is an incredibly charged term yeah. among a lot of folks, particularly young people, I believe. Yeah. But yeah. I, I, refuse, I refuse to give it up. Like, Brad, I don't know where you are on that. I mean, I, no, I, well, I, I agree with you. I'm just yeah. saying that for a lot of folks, it has been co-opted and it has a negative connotation for a lot of Absolutely. folks. Yeah, and so you, you're right. I'm kind of like, you know, Albert Outler was a great Wesley scholar of the 20th century, he and Frank Baker, and, and Outler coined the term um, uh, of a um, Wesleyan uh, Catholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think he liked to be a bit provocative, too. I think I've picked a little bit of that desire to be mm-hmm. provocative in, in some of the things that I've done to really make people think about it. You know, what 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 are those uh, behaviors? What How is God calling me to live in relationship to other people and in my day-to-day life? How is God calling me to live out of this particular Wesleyan orientation? Um, and, and I think it's, yeah. a, I, I still believe it's a very powerful mm-hmm. witness in the life well, of the church, I, primarily because of its conjunctive nature. What mm-hmm. I simply mean by I, that is that the Wesleys were able to hold together so many aspects of the Christian faith that are torn apart. So they are always holding both and together. And that's kind of the theme of the, of my earlier, one of the earlier books you mentioned, uh, Brad, recapturing the Wesley's vision yes. is all about yes. those conjunctions, the ways in which we, we hold things together like word and table. But I, I, I think a part of your provocation uh, being provocative here is how you have said, here are these these, uh, dangerous ideologies here, but we can speak to them with love and joy and peace and and care and and love that you've you've mentioned. Uh, And truth is the other word I'm looking for. And can speak to those. And then you come up with, you end your book, and I believe where you were going with your book was what you call the progressive declaration. Yeah. And to me, a declaration is saying, okay, it's kind of like a, almost a, you know, a treatise on the, on the door. Here I stand. And what you're sharing here, and from my, from my reading, is you're saying, here is one way we can start to come back together 
under this uh, under this declaration. And, and I'd just like you to speak for a minute to be, what is the purpose of this declaration? What are you hoping to accomplish in terms of this provocation, but there's also this call to unity and this, uh, as we used a while back, this, uh, 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 the call to uh, a way forward is the terminology oh. I'm looking forward to. So help, just unpack that for me a little well, bit. Well, first thing I'd say, Brad, is you're extremely perceptive in in uh, kind of intuiting the, the purpose mm-hmm. of that declaration, which really is to provide something of a foundation that gives us a vision for a way to move forward that's, that, that orients around truth and peace and joy and love uh, and the cultivation of those through practices in our lives. So the de- I just pulled, a, pulled my, my copy out to take a look at that, uh, that uh, declaration. Um, and f- the first thing I'd want to say, say about it is that a foundation for a way forward has got to be centered or anchored in Jesus. Absolutely. Uh, and that's why, you know, for each of the, the four sections of the declaration, I start with the phrase, we find truth in Jesus. You know, we find joy in Jesus. We find peace in Jesus. We find love in Jesus. These are the, you know, it seems, it seems silly in a way to say it, or maybe to have to say it, but Jesus is our core. Absolutely. Jesus, Jesus is the center. And one of the, the most frustrating. Well, we got to say it. Uh, so Paul, uh, we got to say, it, Paul, I hate to interrupt you, but we got to say it because it's not being said. It's not being felt. It's not being shared. We are not sharing good news. We're sharing something else, something that's corrupt and destructive and mean spirited oftentimes. Absolutely. And they're leading us in a path of division not a unity. So that's my tirade for the moment, but please go on. Let's be focused and centered on Jesus. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Brad. The frustrating thing is that we, we see Christians, you know, self, self uh, understand, understanding Christians who, who are saying things, doing things, living out their lives in a way that I, I'll make the bold claim is clearly antithetical to the life of Jesus. Um, and, and that's the frustrating point. So, I mean, the, yes. the, the positive point is that all of these things we find in Jesus, we see lived out in the life of Jesus, taught by Jesus. Uh, and and the spirit, I think, uh, to, to use the title of Thomas Akempis's great book, we are called to imitate Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, the imitate, yes. to, to imitate Christ. And I don't mean in a, in a wooden um, kind of um, inflexible way, but I think what that simply means is to have the mind of Christ. So, so to have the mind of Christ is to be uh, truthful, joyful, peaceful, and loving. That's what that means. So that, that's the orientation. And, and a lot of the declaration as well, I think I would say, secondly, is rooted in Scripture. So just to take the first one about truth, uh, being found in human form, he emptied himself of all but love. Like him, we seek to lift people up, assuming a posture of servanthood among all. We pray that our practice of humility helps to break down barriers 
of human hostility. And I selected this because it's the one that deals directly with racism. Yes. And, and the way in which we as human beings, our tendency is to create these barriers um, between and among different people. Um, and and I'm, I'm just going to confess, I think the reason we do that, we, we take the line of least resistance, don't we? It's easier for me, I'll be honest, it's easier for me to live with, to live among people who are like me. It's easier. It, it, it's harder work to cross boundaries, um, to, to enter into a strange land, um, and to try and empathize. And by the way, that's another, another word I, I hadn't thought kind of in the back of my mind to bring it into the conversation, but it, I, it did naturally. We, we live at a time that is devoid of empathy. Oh, boy. Wow. That, that, that's a whole other conversation there, isn't it? <laughs> And um, there's a, a wonderful book entitled Roots of Empathy that makes some rather staggering claims about our culture um, and where we're headed if our future is a future that is devoid of empathy. Uh, and empathy for me is at the absolute core and center of the Christian faith. So, you know. Sure. And un- unfortunately, there's too much antipathy in our church as well, rather than empathy one of the, one of the one of the exercises that I thought was very helpful this kind of connects with is it it seems so simple and and so obvious <laughs> uh, but it's but it's not always practiced and, and then it should if we just reach out to our neighbors I'm not looking at the book now just to yeah. begin a conversation and say hey I'm just wanting to get to know you as a neighbor uh, you know the first conversation is and how we can solve resolve racial injustice in America but if we can begin conversations with persons, and I, and I found this to be my, my experience, Brad, when I was doing work with the uh, United Methodist Immigration Task Force, and as we went, went, went places, to just to begin to say, hey, I want to hear your story. And then when you begin to hear stories of people who are, who've been migrants or immigrants or undocumented or documented immigrants who have come, and you begin to say, my God, uh, you know, we are all a human people trying, basically, trying to find safety. Want to want trying to be heard, yeah. wanting to be wanting to be part of healthy communities. Uh, and one of the challenges I think, even even now in the current environment around racial justice, is um, is and you talk about this in the book too, in terms of just our, our tribalism and and our uh, the, the power of particularity. I say, you know, I'm an African American. If that's all that I identify as, then that can that can also be an inhibit in, in, in a, a roadblock for progress. One of the things Ibram X. Kendi, who, who maybe you read, you may read, wrote this recent book about how to be an anti-racist. Right. He says something. I don't know if it was in this book or his previous books. He said if the problem was just ignorance and hatred, then the solution and cure would be education and love. Now, as United Methodists, we've been promoting education and love for and preaching love for a long time. So part of it is actually even deeper than just tolerance. And I think I think some of those exercises you really begin to get at that. You know, how do you begin actually to intentionally uh, cross bridges to to meet people, to be in relationship and community with people who are not just just like you, uh, because I, I argue this, and 
you could disagree that, you know, there are many people who really don't mind the benefits of racism or a racist society. They just don't want to be called a racist. <laughs> yeah, I, I went from preaching to meddling as, as one of my... Yeah, you're, you're going deep. You're, you're hitting, going deep here. And, uh... and I wanted to just tell a quick story. There are a number of some of my Please. favorite stories in the book, but this just touches directly, Bishop, on what you were talking about. That, you know, so many of us, we think racism, what can I possibly do? And, and the issue is dealing with it on a personal level day by day. And the story is about my daughter, Anna. I'm sure you'll remember it from the book. And this went back to the time when, when the rhetoric was white hot around uh, issues with Muslims and wanting to shut down immigration of Muslims and that sort of thing, or people from Muslim majority countries, etc. And my daughter, Anna, um, worked out a, a couple times a week in this particular gym. And she always noticed a young mother about her, her age uh, dressed in traditional Muslim attire. So she identified this other young woman uh, as a Muslim and um, just kind of drew up the courage uh, to go up to her uh, after her workout one day and say, you know, my name is such and such. And, and I just wanted to say to you that I am happy that you're in the United States. Um, and I love you. Um, and, and I'm really sorry for some of the things that are being said about Muslims, etc. And uh, Sadia was the name of the young woman she was talking to burst into tears and just threw her arms around my daughter and they just stood there and cried together uh, because this was so the wounding that was happening to people was so deep now that took courage mm. but it wasn't a lot to do to simply to simply speak from the heart my a human heart to another human heart and say i'm i'm sorry um, but I want you to know there are many people that love you and that are happy that you're here. And that, that, and that, that experience birthed an entire ministry of Christian women, friends of our daughter Anna, and Muslim women, friends of Sadia, who then began to gather together um, on a fairly regular basis just to get to know each other. Wow. And, and I think, you know, one of the basic human needs— is to be known. We, we all, we, we just yearn to be known. So if you ever want to want a conversation starter with someone that you don't know, just ask them their story. What's your story and what are your dreams? And you won't be able to, you won't be able to get a word in edgewise for the next 30 minutes because it'll, it'll, it'll sure. pour out of them. We all need that. And, he, and healing and restoration is what's going on here, themes in your book as well, and certainly holiness yeah. that comes into play here. And also, isn't that what the church is supposed to be about? A place of grace for healing and restoration to take place, and the church doesn't have to be in that tall steeple on the corner. It can be in the, in the fitness center or the, the gym or the school. Yeah, and, that, and that, term, that term you just used, Brad, restoration. It's central to us as Methodists. That's what yes. the Christian life is all about. It's not just about having our sins forgiven and going to heaven. 
Now that's important. Don't get me, don't get me wrong. That is absolutely essential. Sure. And it's foundational to the Christian life. But the goal of the Christian life is restoration. It's to have the image of Christ restored in us. And what kind of an image is that? To come back to where we started. It's love, Bishop. Yes. It's the image of love. It's for me to become a loving human being in the same way that I see Jesus loving others. Absolutely. That's that's unconditional. Yes, and this restoration and this love gives us hope for a viable future. And that's where I want to kind of bring us around full circle to where I'd like us to kind of bring us into landing a little bit here. And that has to do with, uh, Paul, your take on, you know, we're speaking now in August of 2020 and a year from now, September 2021, we'll have our general conference and something's going to happen. But I just like your sense of kind of where we're at in the United Methodist Church and any signs of hope that you see moving forward. Yeah. Well, I'm a hope-filled guy. So, <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm a glass half full kind of person. So even, even when I, you know, it seems pretty despairing at times, I'm still hopeful. Uh, there, there's so much good that can happen. And a part of the reason I am hopeful is that I firmly believe one of the great prayers of our tradition, all day long, God is at work for good in the world. Mm. I believe that. Yes. So we need to find where, where God is at work doing good things and come alongside God and say, what can I do to, to help? A couple things. Yes. Um, the, the first is kind of self-promotional. I hope that's okay. But Steve Harper and I made the decision after Active Faith came out, and he had produced Holy Love uh, several months before that, we thought, wouldn't it be fun to do a trilogy and for you and I to partner on a parallel volume, exactly the same as the other two, um, on Living Hope? So Steve and I uh, jointly published this book on Living Hope, and the... um, Sorry, I, I can never remember my own subtitles or subtitles of much of anything, but it has something to do with an inclusive vision of the church. So that book we, we wrote specifically, the, the original intention is that it would be published on the threshold of general conference. So available okay. to the general church before we moved into that 2020 session, which of course is now postponed to... Uh, to uh, later in 2021. But that book uh, talks about the issue of hope um, and in multiple dimensions as we think about hope in our lives and is meant to be, I'm not sure what word to use, maybe something like a salve on the wound of the Methodist Mm, church uh, to help us move forward. But it is a very, a very firm declaration of a of a church that is embracing that is all embracing and inclusive so it provides that kind of inclusive vision so well that's available i assume at uh cokesbury and amazon yep. and other outlets as is. is your as is your book active faith and all your other books as well and i appreciate you being with us today bishop is there anything any remarks or i'd, I'd just like to say another big thank you to paul and for your work and May, may, may the Holy Spirit be with you as you transition through all the boxes, you and the family there. Um, I'm, I'm a, uh, a, a, to borrow words from Bishop Tutu, I'm a prisoner of hope as well. Yeah. Uh, uh, and um, 
I believe that our best days are always ahead of us because if God wakes us up tomorrow, that's already a victory <laughs> if we wake up tomorrow morning. So I praise God for for this time and for the podcast. And to those who may listen to this, um, God loves you and loves all of us. And in spite of um, what you may hear or experience or feel, uh, that that's a settled case. That's not That doesn't require any action on the heart of on 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 the part of any legislative body whatsoever. So uh, it's been great to be together, Brad, and I turn it back to you. Well, thank you. Well, appreciate uh, both of uh, both of our guests being with us here today on the United Methodist uh, People podcast. Bishop Julius Trimble, resident bishop of the Indiana area, and speaking together with him for a number of uh, episodes on matters of faith in the church. And our guest today, Dr. Paul Chilcote, a professor and a retired professor of Wesleyan Studies and the author of Active Faith. Uh, This is Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. It's been a pleasure to be with you here on the United Methodist People podcast, where it is our mission to promote the strengthening of the connection in the United Methodist Church through conversation and commentary. Thanks again to Dr. Paul Chilcote from uh, a Wesleyan Scholar today and the author of Active Faith, the uh, resisting the four ideologies which are dangerous with the Wesleyan way. Great discussion we had here uh, here today, and you can find the full show notes, including the full transcript, at our at our webpage, UnitedMethodistPodcast.com. And more details and listen to the podcast at facebook.com slash United Methodist Podcast. I wanted to touch on one thing as a reminder and a takeaway point that I think is important for us to, uh, to touch on and leave you with here today. In the, at the end of his book, he concludes his book with what he calls the Progressive Declaration. And this is a way forward for our United Methodist Church as we look at General Conference in September of 21. And this is some ways that we can start to put together a process here of what is really important to us. And he talks about the practice of these four things. Take these with you, please. The Wesleyan practices of humility, hospitality, healing, and holiness. And how these concepts can be help us put together our true identity as Wesleyan United Methodists, as the beloved children of God, and help us be all-inclusive and holistic in our approach to God's restoration of the beloved community. Good stuff here. I commend it to you. It's been great to be with you here on the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller, where it is our mission to strengthen the connection in the United Methodist Church through conversation and commentary. Until next time, I leave you with this quote. All day long, God is at work for the good in the world. Take care, God bless, and do all the good you can. Thanks so much for listening to the United Methodist People podcast with Rev. Dr. Brad Miller. You can continue the conversation and commentary about strengthening the connection in the United Methodist Church to accomplish our mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Visit the United Methodist People podcast on the web at united 
unitedmethodistpodcast.com and connect at facebook.com slash unitedmethodistpodcast. And always do all the good you can.